Enterprise Fund Basics. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by Dr. Danielle Vance McMullen and by Dr. Dan Heist. They have come together to form the Donor Advised Fund Research Collaborative, and through that work, they are the co-authors of Chapter 38 in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition Donor Advised Fund Basics, and Dr. Vance McMullen teaches at DePaul University, while Dr. Heist teaches at Brigham Young University. And Danielle, let me ask you first, there's still some mystery around this giving vehicle. What in the world is a donor advised fund? Well, a donor advised fund is essentially a charitable checking account hosted by a community foundation or some other donor advised fund sponsor. You might have heard of some of the national ones like Fidelity Charitable or National Philanthropic Trust. And these accounts are essentially a partnership between the donor and the donor advised fund sponsor. So if I'm a donor, I might contribute to an account but you can think of it as a checking account at a donor advised fund sponsor. And I, I would receive a immediate charitable deduction for that gift um, on my taxes. But then I would make gifts to nonprofits from that fund. In the meanwhile, until I'd given out those gifts, those funds could be invested. They could um, go into a program related investment. And any fees from that investment would go back to the sponsor. Uh, and over time, I would give out that gift. I would add new contributions to my fund, just like I might add new contributions to my checking account and continue that cycle of making charitable gifts through this tool. And Dan, let me ask you, then how does this work? If this money is going into this account, how does the money come out of the account and go to nonprofits and charitable support? Right. So the reason it's called a donor advised fund is because the donor gets to advise this charity that's holding the money of how to use the money. So they they make what are called grant recommendations. So they'll uh, go onto the uh, online portal. They'll say, I want you know, $100 to go to this organization. They'll search through, you know, maybe there's a searchable database. Um, and then they they make a recommendation to this organization. The organization will take a look at their recommendation. They'll vet it, make sure it's going to a legitimate 501c3 charity, public charity or, or, or other organization that's that's a legal entity. And, and then they'll, they'll approve it. And then they'll send the money out. The organization gets a check in the mail that doesn't come from the donor directly. That's one of the tricky parts. The check will come from such and such community foundation or fidelity charitable or but the, it was actually the donor behind the scenes that was advising that donation and advising that grant and and, and recommending it to to go out let's take a moment and think about these donors and i'm just kind of wondering why they would do this so i want to ask both of you you know who is this person the type of person the type of donor that utilizes a donor advised fund and why do they do so it sounds like it's an extra step instead of just donating directly to the nonprofit organization. So, Danielle, let us start first with you. Like, who are these people and why are they doing this? A little bit of work looking at this. These donors can uh, be charitable in uh, many ways. And I think one of the I'll start with kind of one of the misconceptions is that they are all kind of ultra wealthy donors, the type that would start a foundation. A lot of times these are folks who are kind of really intentional about their charitable giving but maybe don't want to um, go through the administrative hassle of doing a foundation or don't have the kind of funding that would be required to start a foundation. So one of the things we've looked at through some of our work in the Donor Advice Fund Research Collaborative is that the size of these donor advice fund accounts, um, actually about 
45% of them are under $50,000, about another 45% are between $50,000 and a million, and only 10% are size of a million or, or greater. Um, and those donors will give out those funds over several years sometimes. So you can kind of imagine a person who's giving annual gifts of $10,000 or so. Um, so probably major gift donors, but not necessarily kind of the ultra high net worth folks you might think of. They tend to be a good mix of men and women. They tend to be kind of in that kind of middle aged to maybe early retirement age. Um, and oftentimes these are folks who you know, have some sort of a wealth event or some sort of kind of an annual commitment to charity they really wanna continue, continue working toward. Dan, how about yourself? What more can you tell us about these donors as a comprehensive answer from Danielle? But uh, again, they're taking this extra step. Our, Danielle mentioned that uh, the behavior could be similar to major gift uh, donating. Uh, what else can you tell us about these folks who are putting money into donor advice funds? Well, we've, we've interviewed uh, dozens and dozens of donor advice fund donors trying to understand why they're using it, why they're choosing this model. A, a couple of things I'll just add is a lot of times folks will hear about donor advice funds from a professional advisor, a, a financial advisor, uh, an, an attorney. Uh, a lot of them will hear from friends and colleagues that uh, are, are rather sophisticated in, in their, their financial matters, specifically in their giving. Um, and so it's, it's for people who kind of understand that there are some advantages to being able to move money into one of these accounts. Uh, in a year where there might be a, a kind of a, a taxable event that's that's you know greater than normal, and they understand that they can get some tax advantages from moving the money over in a particular year, and then they have the flexibility to give money away over the next few years or or into the future, and so. Um, a lot of people who are using donor advice funds have been recommended to use it from from a friend or a financial advisor, or just understand uh, their benefits. And so the donor advised fund, as Danielle said, it's a charitable checking account. It's this account, except when the dollars go in, the dollars can only come out when they're being sent. And the word is a grant as a grant to a qualified 501c3 organization. The host of the donor advised fund actually has authority over that money. But as Dan mentioned, they do kind of listen in for that advice from the donor on, on where to uh, disperse those funds to, to qualified charities. As Danielle mentioned, this is not the ultra high net worth folks exclusively. In fact, such a, a wide range of income levels and wealth levels are opening up donor advised funds. The fundraising school we mentioned, there was that book back in the day, The Millionaire Next Door. Well, now you might have the donor advised fund holder next door. Could be a wide range of folks who are doing this. And the behavior could be similar to major gift fundraising. The majority of the grants uh, are unrestricted, but a majority of the dollars often are designated. So it's something to keep in mind. Danielle, then how do I fundraise from these folks? If if the money is in an account held by somebody else, a wealth advising firm, a community foundation, as a fundraiser, how do I try to attract support from somebody who has a donor advised fund? Your donor advised fund donors are your already donors. Uh, are the folks that are already giving to your organization. They are the mom, the dad, they are the recent retiree. They are all the folks that are already giving to you. They're just the type of folks who have been intentional, right? So you will want to be having those conversations with your current donors. This could be simple as um, sitting down for coffee and saying, have you set aside any money for philanthropy? That's always a great, a great 
opening line. Another thing to do is really to notice when you are getting those donor advised fund gifts and be making notes in your system, right? So wherever you're tracking that donor data, uh, if you do get one donor advised fund gift from someone, there's probably additional money in that account. And so that would be an opportunity to start a conversation. Uh, the other thing to do, and this is not always the case, but um, occasionally a community foundation or um, religiously affiliated donor advice fund will get a question from a donor who's looking to kind of give in a new area. And so you do want to make sure you have solid relationships with folks at your community foundation um, and other kind of major donor advice fund sponsors in your area of work just to make sure they know kind of what your organization's doing. And this is a good thing to do in fundraising anyway. You'd always want your community foundation leaders to know who you are. But, you know, if they get those types of questions, then they'd be able to easily refer to you, to you that donor, if they wanted to make that connection or, you know, be able to kind of include your information in a list of suggestions for a donor if that was something they were looking for. I love that distinction you made when talking to the donor, not are you charitably active in making gifts, but have you set aside money for charitable giving? That is a very precise way to focus in on it because if they've set that money aside, it could be in one of these accounts known as a donor advised fund. You know, and Dan, when we talk about foundations, people can go into databases, the foundation directory online and these other types of resources to find foundations. Can I do that with donor advised fund donors or what other advice might you have as we fundraise from these charitable donors? Not exactly. So the foundations don't publish lists of their donors, the, the folks who have donor advice funds, just like any nonprofit would not necessarily publish a list of all their donors. The, the, you know, it's a donor confidentiality thing. Uh, but I, I want to really emphasize what Danielle said about keeping track in your own database of who's making a gift from, from the DAF. Uh, we're in the middle, we're interviewing professional fundraisers right now, trying to understand what are the best practices out there. And this is really the starting point. A lot of people will, not only will they give soft credit to the donor once the check comes in from such and such organization, uh, but then they also have a field where they mark if the donor has a donor advised fund, uh, maybe even like when they set it up. Um, this really facilitates when you're when you're going through your donor database and you're trying to understand, uh, you know, who's up in the cultivation cycle and, and you can reach out to the donor advice fund donors. And, and there's a few things that this enables you to do. Like Danielle said, when you have that conversation about money being set aside, uh, one thing that we're hearing from from professional fundraisers is there's definitely the opportunity to talk about major gifts. Um, but the other thing that's uh, uh, coming up is a lot of folks are a lot of fundraisers are having conversations about deferred gifts as well. So what happens to the money in the account when you pass away? Are you leaving it to a charity? Could we be involved? You know, could, could you name us as one of those charities? So there's lots of great ways to engage donors once you know that they have a donor advice fund. So thinking about the planned gift as well, if you know somebody holds a donor advised fund. Now, we need to point out that both Danielle and Dan have earned their academic degrees, some of them at least, from the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy, which is home to the fundraising school. So I just want to show off a little bit with that fact, but also point out that they then know that asking for the gift is not the last stage in fundraising. That 14th stage in the 14th step process is stewardship. And Danielle, especially since a donor advised fund gift can be made anonymously, as a fundraiser, what do I need to know about acknowledgement and stewardship when I receive a donor advised fund gift? Let's start with the second part of that first, and then we'll talk a little bit about the anonymity. Uh, the really important thing to do is to receipt the sponsor that by which I mean the community foundation or uh, the 
Fidelity Charitable or whoever kind of the gift physically came from, but acknowledge and thank the donor. So I'll say that once again, receipt the sponsor and acknowledge and thank the donor. And so in your database, that might mean, as Dan was saying, giving soft credit to the donor, but really kind of in your interpersonal communications and any sort of other kind of public acknowledgements that you do, making sure that you're thanking and acknowledging the donor who advised that gift to come to you. Uh, on the anonymity piece, I would say um, occasionally we see an anonymous gift. Um, the numbers are typically pretty low, but if you do receive an anonymous donor advice fund gift, I would advise you to do two things. First, I would actually check that it was intentionally anonymous. Um, so you can go ahead and reach out to that donor advised fund sponsor and, and say, we've received this gift on this date and this amount. Is there anything else you can tell me from my records that looks like this was an anonymous gift? Sometimes that can be a wiring error. So you just want to double check. And then secondly, you can ask if the donor is open to receiving a thank you through that sponsor. So it's possible sometimes to, especially if it's a community foundation, you're in a smaller community or kind of a more tight-knit community, to have that community foundation pass on a thank you to that donor. It's not the same as building kind of an interpersonal relationship, but it is worth doing uh, just one extra step um, because we know that these can be important donors to your organization. Right. Yeah. Practical advice, Danielle. Yeah, Dan, uh, I know you want to amplify on that. And I also want to ask you, uh, it was mentioned earlier that uh, these folks have already received tax advantage for this gift. Nonprofits are accustomed to sending a tax letter. So, you know, please give us more advice for fundraisers in this acknowledgement and stewardship uh, portion of the fundraising cycle. Well, I just want to add one more thing to what Danielle said. And, and a lot of what we're hearing from professional fundraisers these days is that the gift entry team, the, the finance folks that are that are getting in these checks in the mail, processing, <clears throat> sometimes it takes a little bit of training just to help them understand that even though the check may have the name of the organization, that there's a letter that comes with the check that has the information about the donors in the letter. And, and what we're hearing is a lot of times these checks are being processed from the gift entry team or from your, your staff uh, that are putting this data in and they're not capturing all the data. So that's one little piece of training, just make sure your organization is on top of that. Getting back to your point, Bill, about the, the tax deductibility that they've already seen the, the tax break on it. One of the tricky things with uh, with receding and acknowledging donors is uh, they don't get a tax receipt. They don't say this 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 donation is tax deductible. Like Danielle said, they, they get a thank you. We, we acknowledge that you're the one behind this gift. Thank you very much. But uh, in, in that letter, you're not saying that it's a tax deductible donation. Wonderful information helping us understand Donor Advised Fund with wonderful practical application from Danielle Vance McMullen and Dan Heist, the co-authors of Donor Advised Fund Basics, Chapter 38 in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. And they also come together to create and research and teach us through the Donor Advised Fund Research Collaborative. And the information about Donor Advised Funds is incorporated into so much of our curriculum at the fundraising school. We have nearly two dozen public courses that lead to four different certificates. We can also have customized training that we can bring directly to you. And all of this coursework can be in person or online. We have quarterly webinars, plus these free podcasts, and you can also access Achieving Excellence in Fundraising. This information is available on our website at philanthropy.iui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Grateful to our guests today, Danielle Vance McMullen and Dan Heist. Our producers today are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakovich, and you are now more fully informed 
on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm-hmm.